2 Timothy chapter 2. The words will be on the screen, but uh, let me read chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Remember that Paul is writing this letter from a Roman dungeon. This is the last letter that we have from him because he will be beheaded. His steadfast love for the Lord Jesus Christ, his steadfast loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ, his holding on to the truth of God's word, his loyalty to God, the strength of God to walk him through the path that God set his feet on is right in front of us in this letter. And so we step into chapter 2, verse 1, as he writes to his dearest, dearest disciple, Timothy. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses... Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, he shall also, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Now, we're stepping down into the middle of this letter. Most of Paul's letters are theological training. Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, they're theological training. And as he has said to Timothy, the things that I have shared with you in public, my seminars... (laughs) that you sat through many times as you traveled with me from congregation to congregation to city to city to province to province. You sat through these seminars, Timothy. You've heard them over and over. You can recite them pretty much word for You keep teaching those things. 
you keep teaching those things, even if it brings suffering upon you. You keep teaching those things so that just as you were equipped, so you will be equipping others. Now, as we saw last week, as we pointed out, Paul is in a Roman dungeon. He's already, as we will see in the closing chapter of this letter, he's already appeared before Nero. He has already stood before Nero and refused to bow the knee and worship the emperor. That was actually something incumbent upon Roman citizens. They had to give due obedience and worship to the emperor. Paul refused, just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow before that 90-foot idol in the Babylonian wilderness so that he would not bow to Nero. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got thrown in the fiery furnace. Paul is in a dungeon. They got delivered. He will be beheaded, but oh, by the way, unto splendid glory. Unto splendid glory. He wrote last, as we saw in chapter 1 last week, do not be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Did I say to you, don't be ashamed? Don't be ashamed. Why? Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. There, verse, chapter 1, verse 8, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. And as I pointed out last week, why would there be shame in the testimony of... Well, he's that Jewish fellow that would not, that declared, was declared to be the king of the Jews. He got crucified. What a silly fellow to worship. Uh, let me tell you the rest of the story. He came out of the tomb on the third day. The Roman soldiers who were there to keep him in that tomb, they sealed that tomb. The breaking of that seal meant they would lose their lives. That's how adamant they were. And they were awake when an angel came down flashing lightning. And then they fainted. And the angel rolled away the stone, and the women came, and they were invited into the empty tomb. And then they left, and here was Jesus waiting. And Mary Magdalene fell at his knees and threw her arms around his knees until Jesus had to say, okay, let go, let go, let go. I have to rise to my father so I can receive the gift from him that I'm going to bestow on you and the apostles. She saw, she heard, as did the other, and she witnesses in a trial today in the American court system. Do we want their conclusions? No, we want what they saw, what they heard, what they smelled, what they tasted, what they touched. We will decide. It's a... Every one of those senses 
And that is the testimony that we have. The empty tomb and the resurrect. And then the apostles, 40 days later, witnessed him rise into heaven. And he had already said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Well, if Jesus has all authority, what does that leave for Nero? None. Nero is God, as much as he hates the thought, Nero is God's servant. Let me tell you something, folks. Lucifer is God's servant. <laughs> what? Lucifer hates that. But Lucifer always, everything, he, every construct he comes up with, every plan he comes up with, always ends up playing into the hands of God. Who was it that incited Nebuchadnezzar to build that idol out there in the wilderness that resembled Nebuchadnezzar, I would dare say? Well, who else but Lucifer? Who else incited Nebuchadnezzar to have that fiery furnace there for anybody that doesn't bow? And what happened? The outcome, Daniel chapter 3, is the... Decree went out through the whole Babylonian empire. Everybody. I don't want, I, Nebuchadnezzar, don't want to hear about anybody saying anything bad about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If they do, they're dead. And what happened with Daniel in the lion's den? After he came out of the den of lions, what did Darius the Mede, the decree went out. I don't want to hear about anybody saying anything bad about the God of Daniel because he is the God of gods. Satan played right into God's hands. All he needed was loyal servants willing to die rather than betray their God. What's Paul asking of Timothy? Timothy, just as you see, I am ready to die rather than be disloyal to my God. Timothy, that's our job description. But we don't have to be ashamed. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, they got immediate glory. The glory for us may not be that immediate. But it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And one of the great blessings we will experience in the eternal reign of our Lord Jesus Christ is sitting down at the table with these people whom we've never heard of that God used in mighty ways. Whom God used in mighty ways. We've heard testimonies just here in our own church from people from Cambodia, Romania, other places that could voice God's deliverance that God granted to them. It's not just something from 2,000 and 2,500 years ago and so forth. No, it's today these testimonies are being made. Therefore, 
as he says in chapter 1, verse 6, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. He came out of that tomb. The apostles saw him rise into heaven. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. I'm not Nero's prisoner. I'm Jesus' prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Ouch! Oh, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, provision, gifting, which was given us in Christ Jesus before time began. We emphasize this, verse 12, for this reason also I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed in it, and am persuaded that he is able to keep, preserve what I have committed to him until that day. When I stand before my Lord, he's not going to forget the loyalty of my life. He's going to reward it. And then he gives the account of Onesiphorus, who had actually come and visited him and served him while he's in the dungeon. And what does he say of Onesiphorus, who had served him in this way, who apparently has already stepped into the presence of Jesus? Chapter 1, verse 16, The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. He wasn't ashamed. He actually put himself in danger by coming to the dungeon to visit me and to serve me. He wasn't ashamed. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. Apparently, he's already entered the presence of Jesus. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Now, chapter 2, verse 1. You, therefore, in the same way as Onesiphorus demonstrated, you, therefore, my son, of all of the men that Paul had ever discipled, the one who is closest to his heart is Timothy. As he has stated earlier in chapter 1, I came to you, your mother, your grandmother was Lois, your mother Eunice. They were loyal. They were Jewish women who were already loyal followers of Jesus. When he came to Lystra, where Timothy and his mother and grandmother lived, Timothy already has a good reputation in, in the house churches that are meeting. He's already got, and then, but his father is a pagan Greek. Paul took him and did what his pagan Greek father had not done. He fathered him. You are my son. You are my son. I fathered you in kingdom wisdom and truth. 
You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace, in the provision that is in Christ Jesus. And the things which you have heard from me among many witnesses in my public seminars, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You too be a discipler. You too pass along this truth so that others will be enabled, so that others will be enabled to serve in a way that actually brings glory and praise to God and matches the reality of who he is and what he bestows upon us in his grace. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace and the provision that is in Christ Jesus and the things which you have heard from me among many witnesses. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship. Ouch, ouch, we don't like that word. We want it all done on the plate, on the table right now. No, I'm sorry. The plan is, this is not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's a marathon. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, something we know about Roman culture is that when you were, young men were in their mid-teens, 15, 16, 17 years old, they could sign up to be a soldier in the Roman army for, and it was a 20-year commitment. A 20-year commitment. And when you signed up to be a Roman soldier, all of your other life plans got set aside in favor of what you were committing to do for the next 20 years. Now, they made a commitment back to you. They gave you a barracks to live in. They gave you food. They gave you some kind of clothing. And, of course, they gave you all the equipment you would. And at the end of the 20 years, they actually had... soldier colonies around the Roman Empire. You could go and retire. They had retirement communities for their soldiers. Right outside, for example, the city of Philippi in Greece, there was a Roman, a colony of Roman soldiers, retired Roman soldiers there. So it was a lifetime, a 20-year commitment with a lifetime promise to serve back by the empire. But you, once you signed up, Any other life plans you had always took second place to what you had committed to. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. You always want to please the recruiting officer. By the way, a centurion... The term centurion means commander of 100. A century is 100 years. A centurion was a commander of 100. Centurions all, they were not the sons of the wealthy and privileged. They were up from the ranks men who had demonstrated such skill, such loyalty that they had attained to that position. Now, The term centurion, by the time of Paul's day, they actually were commanding more than 100, but they still retained that 
title, centurion. Notice in both the Gospels and in the book of Acts, centurions are always presented in a positive way. As Jesus came down after preaching the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he is met first by a leper whom he cleanses, and then he's met by a centurion who says to him, and he is a God-fearer, he comes to Jesus and says, I have a servant at home who is writhing in pain on his bed. You can heal him. And Jesus says, I will go to your house and do it. That's shocking, folks, for any Jew to enter the house of any Gentile. That was, that was not kosher. You got defiled just by doing that. Years later in the book of Acts, God has to command Peter to go into the centurion's house. And he goes into that centurion's house and says, this is the first time I've ever been in a Gentile's house. Jesus offered to go into the centurion's house. And the centurion says, oh, no, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but I know how authority works. All you have to do is give the command. I tell soldiers what to do, and they do it. I tell my servants what to do, they do and they do it. And in the spiritual realm, you have that same authority. And Jesus steps back. Jesus steps back. I have not seen such faith, not even in Israel. In the kingdom, men will come, people will come from north, south, east, west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom. And the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into everlasting fire. A soldier, the centurions did, they went past what was expected. They were, they were the most highly respected men in the Roman Empire, was the centurion. You do, when you're recruited, you do what you were recruited to do. That's your commitment. And everything else gets set aside. And so it is. When we are good soldiers of Jesus, you set your life plans aside and say, okay, Lord Jesus, I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to sacrifice in order to be your servant fully, completely unrestrained. That is his expectation. You must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes, competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. You can't cut across the field. You've got to run the track the way it's laid out. You've got to run the race the way it's laid out. You can't break the rules and expect to receive the laurel wreath or the oak wreath, which was placed on their heads if they were the victor. 
anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. The hardworking farmer, folks, we'd probably have to go somewhere really, 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 really remote to see how hard farmers had to work in those days. They didn't have any tractors. <laughs> they didn't have any motorized equipment. Everything was done by hand. Everything is done by hand, and it was the minute the sun comes up until the sun goes down. If you're a loyal Jew, doing what it says to do in the law of Moses, it was six days a week, everybody else at seven. And by the way, even the Jews didn't obey God's law. When God sent them off into captivity, he rebukes them because he says, not once did you people obey the Sabbath. hard-working farmer. He's sowing the seed for the, for the crop. He's tending the, the, the grain. He's tending it. He's harvesting it. He's doing all this hand labor. He does when it's all over and, he, and the chaff is blown away and he's got the grain. He does get to say, hey, wife, come here. Let's pick out the best quality grain for ourselves and sell the rest. The hard-working farmer must be first to partake of the crop. When you step into the presence of Jesus, you will receive the benefit of the labor you expended in the field. When you step into his presence, that's going to be payday. Payday. And it will be an overwhelming blessing. The hard-working farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Of all God's servants who paid the highest price, who worked the hardest, who endured the most, God the Son the eternal God the Son laid aside his heavenly glory. He was sent by the Father. The Father sent him and he chose to come. The heart of the Father and the heart of the Son and the heart of the, heart of the Holy Spirit were identical. There is no difference. There is no dispute in the, amongst the triune God. Jesus laid aside his independent glory. He laid aside his omniscience, his non-moral attributes, his omniscience, his omnipotence, and his omnipresence, and became a human being. True God of true God, true man of true man, joined together in one person. He's not half man, half God. I know I've said this dozens of times. I'm saying it again. He's not half man, half God. He's fully God fully man, joined together in one person. And then he went to the cross and paid sin's penalty. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When they examined those Passover lambs, if it had this tiniest flaw, it was rejected. He passed the test. He even stood, he stood before the Jewish leadership 
they couldn't, when they brought him before Pilate, what are you accusing me of? What? Even Pilate washed his hands of the blood of this just man. He was flawless, sinless, and then he was placed on a cross where he paid sin's penalty for us. Jesus chose to do that. And what was the outcome for him already? And there's more glory. He said to the apostles, having been raised from the dead, he says to them, the Great Commission, all authority, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's the only begotten son. He's the full heir. When he came out of that tomb and rose into the presence of the Father, the Father handed off to God the Son the day-to-day management of the estate, the universe. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, the only begotten Son, the full heir, the full heir. The depth of Jesus' pain we will never know as he endured on that cross that invisible suffering of all of the hell due to the entire human race for an eternity poured out on him. And because of the nature of who he was, fully God, as well as fully man, he was able in that span of about six hours on the cross to pay sin's penalty for the entire human race. And that is what gives God perfect freedom to forgive us because the penalty has already been poured out. So how did it work out for Jesus? He endured hardship, and he is now experiencing heavenly glory such as we can never imagine, and even more awaits. Remember that the Lord Jesus of the seed of David, fully man, was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I also suffer trouble as an evildoer, even the point of chains. How is he even evil? Because he's a threat. Just as Jesus was a threat to the Jewish leadership that was so wicked, the managers of that temple that they had turned into a den of thieves, and and Jesus is a threat to the pagan rulers of the Roman Empire. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David who was raised from the dead according to my gospel for which, I, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer even to the point of chains but the word of God is not chained. The very thing that Satan engineers to chain down, bind down the gospel ministry actually causes its explosion. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, Daniel in the den of lions, Jesus on the cross, and then comes out of the tomb. And are we studying the writings of Nero today? Or are we studying the writings of that fellow who Nero had beheaded? To ask the question answers it. I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect. I am your servant. I am the servant of those people 
whom God has out there. I can't identify them. I can only speak words and serve people that they also may obtain the salvation, the deliverance which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Notice the emphasis of Paul. Glory awaits us, glory awaits us, glory awaits us. It came to Jesus and it will come to us. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. I titled this message, Endurance, Endurance, Endurance. If we endure, if we finish the marathon, we shall also reign with him. If we press through the tape, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. In Matthew chapter 10, the, the chapter in Matthew's gospel where he has called the apostles, called the disciples, they're there. He is commissioning them to do their work. He makes this statement in Matthew chapter 10, verse 33. If you, my disciples, who've already been with him for probably a year and a half or two years, if you confess me before men... I will confess you before my Father. Do you want Jesus confessing you before the Father? Do you want Jesus interceding for on your behalf before the Father? Do you want Jesus as your defense attorney, as your spokesman before the Father, so that all of heaven's resources will come to your aid? I'll take that. The second half of the verse is, if you, my disciples... Deny me before men. If you keep your mouth shut for me, here, I'll deny you before my Father who is in heaven. I'll keep my mouth shut for you there. Uh, I think I'd rather have Jesus <laughs> doing everything he can for me. If we deny him, he will also deny us. You don't want that. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. There will be people, and Paul discusses this in 1 Corinthians 3, where he's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. There will be people who will stand before Jesus Christ and give account. They're authentic believers, and they will give an account of their discipleship, of the measure by which they endured. And those who endured will receive kingdom glory on top of the standard package that is coming to every redeemed soul. They will receive outrageous kingdom glory. But it also says in 1 Corinthians, and then Paul talks about the same topic in 2 Corinthians, is the judgment seat of Christ. There will be some who will be there who will be saved, yet so is through fire. Their works will be examined by Jesus with his eyes of fire, and their works will not survive his gaze. Will they be in the kingdom? Yes. But will they have the kingdom glory they could have had if they had walked loyally and endured with him? No. Because when they had their opportunity to speak for him here, they kept their mouth shut. And there will be a kingdom loss 
for them a loss of the glory they could have experienced. But if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Yes, they are redeemed ones. They will be in the kingdom, but they will not have the kingdom glory they could have had if they had endured. If they had endured. That's the task before us. Have you signed up? Have you put your name on the dotted line, joining as the Roman soldiers did when they signed up? We need to be disciplined in our own lives to set aside the distractions, the things that would pull us away from unrestrained loyalty to Jesus and his purposes in our lives. Let's pray together. Our Father, there isn't a single person here that isn't convicted by what we see here. either by present choices or by choices that were made in the past. Our Lord, we thank you for forgiveness. Your word declares if, you, if we confess our sins, say the same thing about our sins that you say about them. You, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we are asking that you would help us to honestly examine our present walk with you. And if there is anything tying us down, if there is anything slowing our run in the marathon, if there is anything that is weighing us down, distracting us, that you will point at it and enable us by the help of your Holy Spirit to confess it and step away from it. We ask that we might be servants of yours in days to come and such servants that you will with glee grant to us outrageous kingdom glory in the day of your coming. We ask this of you, good shepherd and king, our redeemer, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen.